My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And we're back to All American Wing Shooting Podcast. And I'm so pumped about this episode. It is with a, I say, a dear bird hunting special friend that I've never got to meet before. From South Africa, we've supported each other's um, businesses and careers via social media for a long time. So welcome, Tim Van Heerden from South Africa. Thank you very much, Anna. It's quite a, uh, you know, nice to be on, on your podcast. Uh, I never, ever thought that that uh, this would uh, come in front of me. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, well, we have... Um, have a super special, I think, community of bird hunters on social media, and it's really easy to buy in and support other people, even that you haven't personally met when they're running the same dog, having the same passions, and it's really apparent on all of your posts. And um, so you guide in South Africa, and you run short hairs, and I know that we have um, mutual friends through SCI. Yes, we do. Just, just to correct you, I actually run English pointers. Oh, we English pointers. We used a lot of uh, short ears in, you know, we've got a lot of, of uh, agreements with, with friends all over South Africa. And uh, we do a lot of hunting over short ears as well, especially in the free state um, where they work better. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's good fun. I love the short ears and I like the English pointers and uh, even the labs, you know, when we shoot some duck. Uh, every, you know, yes, in South Africa, each breed uh, has got its place here and, and we may use them to, you know, where they are best suited. You know, I love that you made that point because that's how I found the lab was I realized uh, my first trip to South Dakota that there were... Um, there w- I was put in situations that would not been ideal for my short hairs. And I was yes. hardcore short hair lover. And so it just really like changed my mind. And, and, that, and you're so right about there's um, purposes for each breed. Were they, were they like sh- shine? Yeah. And that's why there are so many different gun dog breeds. You know, it, every, every, everyone uh, finds its niche. And, and I think that's wonderful, you know. Uh, I, I am obviously in love with English pointers, uh, but in, in the States I had the opportunity to hunt over uh, English setters um, and then even Springer Spaniels. And what a different uh, type of hunting. And and I like each facet of it, you know. It's, uh, it's actually brilliant, yeah. Yeah. So you've been, you've been here before and hunted here in the States? Yes, uh, we attend the the SEI um, shows. Uh, well, before COVID, we 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 came uh, basically every year. Uh, we do DSC. Then uh, I've exhibited at the Pheasant Fest in 2019 and 2020. And did we uh, meet there in person? We didn't meet at Pheasant. How I did we at not? At that point in time, you were the CZ lady. Yeah, I was. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So, so I, whenever I get the opportunity, I've got a lot of friends there that that I invite to hunt on this side, and then they want to reciprocate and, and invite me to hunt. So I've hunted chucker up in in Utah and pheasants in Idaho, and 
you know, um, I've hunted a bit in, in South Carolina. Uh, I haven't had a, uh, invite to one of the Southern plantations yet, but okay, uh, well, we can make that happen. List. Oh, okay. So <laughs> you weren't at SCI convention this past year, right? You, did no, you make it? Um, we didn't. 2020 was our last year. Uh, obviously, uh, 21, there was no show or, or we couldn't get into your country. And then we were going to come uh, this year. But, uh, you know, your president stopped South Africans from coming in late November last year. And uh, he only opened it in uh, very late in December for us again. And we just didn't want to take the chance to go there to maybe have to be sent back in a week's time again so uh, we opted not to not to go to dsc and SEI this year do you have um, plans but, uh, do you have plans to come back for this year planning. we're planning to to go to dsc and to SEI, yeah and and hopefully you know the pheasant fest is just the uh the uh weekend before SEI. so no, maybe, i think it's the uh, same you know, is it the same i, th I think it's a week before <clears throat> Well, if it's a uh, week if before, I'm, I'm going to find out right now because you might have just made my day. If it's the week. Oh, you're right. It's the week before because it overlaps within WTF. So since SCI is moving to Nashville this year, which is huge yes. for me, like I can't wait. If, we got to stay in touch because if you come, I'm going to make sure that that um, you get in where where we are because it's it's our town. Like we get to go there a lot. So. Oh, I can't wait to be back down south and to have SCI down south. I'm super pumped. But NWTF is the weekend before. So we've just got such a jam-packed weekend. So we'll be in Nashville the weekend before NWTF juggling Siwi, right, in Charleston. Yeah. 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 So if you guys end up coming for that, make sure I know about that. And then um, Goose Camp during the week and then back to Nashville for, for SCI convention and just live it up. You know, I mean... It's on the the end of the season, so we don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, no, that's that's hectic. Yeah, I didn't actually, uh, I hadn't been to Siri for quite a while, um, but never been to to the Wild Turkey show. So mm -hmm. uh, maybe we must look at the schedule. Yeah, yeah. So if you in come in early, yeah, you definitely got to let me know, and then maybe in between the weeks, you just go and hit a plantation. Um, Pine Hill was at SCI convention last year. And yes. they are iconic down south. I have not hunted there, um, but the owners are so precious. And they have a very traditional hunt with the horses and the wagon. And, you know, it's just prestigious and just impeccably gorgeous. So um, they had a really nice booth there. And it was nice to see some of the quail people there because SCI just hasn't really had a lot of wing shooting presence. That's correct. Yeah. Um, which is one reason why we've teamed up with each other is for me to share about that organization um, and what they do for our gun rights and just for hunting rights in general, because the wing shooters kind of get all caught up with pheasants forever and quail forever, which we desperately need for habitat. But my entire speech from the beginning has been, what good is our habitat if we don't have our gun rights? And yeah. so I was unaware of what, SCI was doing um, because I was always, you know, traveling with PFQF and promoting them. And, you know, they launched the Women on the Wing program. My oldest daughter was part of their national youth organization. So we were really heavily involved. And a buddy of mine from down south said, you got to get on board. Like your mission and things that you say align with this organization. And I'm like, 
where have they been my whole life? You know, and and it was so crazy because it took what PF and QF has so special here in the States and then it made it worldwide for me. So like that's how we got connected, really. And we've even been yeah. at events together. And SCI is really what connected us. But SCI is a brilliant organization. And uh, you, know, you would know um, with the uh, game birds of, of the world, um, idea that they've got you know same as the record book has been for 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 planes game and big game um hunting i think that uh that program can be the same for for wing shooting in uh, over the world you know collecting species and uh that's that's actually what i i'd like to do on, on our side is to you know try and cater for the species hunters as well to give them quite a bit of 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 range yeah and and boxes to tick on on our side you know and that thing is different you know we do things different than what you guys do um I've, I've had the opportunity to hunt in a pit blind there in kentucky <laughs> and uh, we don't have, definitely don't have those yet but uh, what an experience but you know we we we, we do it maybe more european style but uh, i try to 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 incorporate some american trends there you know we've got our a-frame a blinds for our goose hunting and and that works great um but yeah i know actually i i think it's a great organization they do a lot of lot for hunters a lot for traveling hunters and and really a lot for for gun rights as well which is very important in this day and age where everyone is basically against what we are doing and uh, we should be able to do what we do because we like it and it's our tradition <laughs> i love that we do love it so much and i don't i mean i struggle on a daily basis um you know with the career and the platform that we have and sharing really what's going on, because even here in the States, you know, our media is so swayed and people are unaware of what's going on. Like right now, um, our um, Pittman Robertson act is being threatened. And, you know, until somebody actually lays out the numbers in front of you and you see where all the tax dollars and how much hunters um, contribute to conservation, you don't realize it. I think that people just have their mind made up that the government takes care of everything that we do. <laughs> you know, it's just so uneducated about how the money works. And so, you know, um, we've talked a lot about how so many wildlife biologists aren't necessarily hunters, but they're conserving the, the same things. They have the same heart for the same things that hunters do. And we're coming at it from two polar opposite mentalities trying to do the same thing when we could all easily be on the same page. Um, oh, for sure. So it's really scary and and educating people without overwhelming them with so many facts because we've been watching this for a long time, right? So we have an encyclopedia of facts to, I guess, yeah. just start spitting out. And then people are like, holy smokes, that's too much. And then... I don't know. Now the whole conspiracy theorist thing is get th gets thrown out there all the time. And we're like, no, this has been happening for a long time. Nobody's paying attention. So it's really hard. And I get I get frustrated as all get out. And having your perspective of what you guys do and watching the U.S. from the outside, like what does that even look like? Let me... <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm involved in the big taxidermy business as well, called Karoo Taxidermy. And, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, we had a lot of pressure 
from airlines not uh, accepting hunting trophies. You know, one of your big airline companies um, before COVID, uh, you know, even had an embargo on the big five. So we, we could export any hunting trophy except for the big five. Today, post COVID with uh, the, you know, the, the international transport industry being in, in shatters, you know, air freight went up 300%. Um, we always had access to, to to shipping lines as well. At the moment, there's only two shipping lines that we can use to ship trophies from Africa to to America, and it's just because of pressure from from I don't know I don't want to call them greenies because the principles are definitely not green on our side, you know, um, but. Two shipping lines that 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 can transport um, hunting trophies. The the one at the moment don't take any freight from from Africa, for the sheer fact is because the supply chain channels between Europe and, and New York is 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 totally screwed up. Um, they don't take anything from Africa. We've just heard now. I'm shipping another two containers next week Wednesday to directly to Houston. That's the other option. But uh, they're taking that boat off that off that line, so we're pretty screwed. Eh? And if we don't start fighting for our rights and fight, uh, fighting for ourselves, you know, we we're in a dying industry, and we've got to we've got to fight for our place in the sun. And you know, a lot of people don't like what we do. A lot of people frown upon us killing animals. Let's be frank. Um, but we pay our way and no, no amount of shouting that they can do from the side, contribute anything to conservation. You know, you guys are still lucky in the States where you have biologists, you, you do have the Pittman Robertson Act, which channel funds to, to, to biologists to do research. In Africa, that doesn't happen. You know, the research was last done here in the 80s and the 90s. Um, all those funds are drying up. All, all the government funds are going towards poverty relief. Um, and, and I understand it, you know. So whatever we do on our side, we've got to fund ourselves. And trophy hunting contributes the vast majority of that amount of money. You know, these NGOs rack up a lot of, of, of money. Um, and, and I... I really get cross when I when I hear them speaking about saving the rhino, saving the rhino. But at the end of the day, only five percent of those funds get to the rhino. When ninety-five percent of the funds are being used to to to, to fund their the organizations and salaries and their travel expenses and the the bribing of people at CITES to 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 vote against us, you know. And it just makes me live it. But we've got to stand up and 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 people's got to know this. I, I don't know, maybe it's too little too late, uh, but we can try our best to make it work, you know. Um, we just have to be uh, inventive with our techniques and uh, really try and try and make hunters stick. If trophy hunting stops in, in Africa, let me tell you, 80% of, of the wild animals will be gone within the next 10, 20 years. Just because of overpopulation, no, and habitat or poaching. If if I cannot make money out of rhino, buffalo, elephant, leopard, 
any planes game could do. I remove that those animals from my property and I oh. stock it with sheep, goats, and cattle. That's that's the simple rules. You know, it, it's it's not government funded. We only hunt. Well, ninety-five percent of our hunting is done on private property. Uh, we're not allowed to hunt in in reserves. Um, most of the reserves don't, don't allow hunting. Um, so everything is privately funded, and charity starts at home. You know, if, if we cannot hunt, we can't make money out of wild animals. We're gonna we're gonna sell them as meat and restock with livestock. You know, and that's gonna be a shame. Um, just you. Know, you know, we're on the subject. Ten years ago, 70% of the, the white rhino population in South Africa were all in government parks. And then, you know, we had a hell of a, a onslaught from poachers. And they targeted those, those parks because, you know, they're not well-funded. There's no anti-poaching going on in those areas. Today, 70% of the rhino population is in private hands. Only 30% is on state land. You know, and, and we... We, you know, there's a big drive in, in South Africa now that that uh, all wild animals must belong to the state now. Um, and I can just see what's going to happen. You know, 80% of the wildlife is going to be decimated within them. If, if they do that, it's going to be decimated within 10 years. You know, if it, if it doesn't pay, it's not going to stay. And the alternative to hunting is livestock farming. Unfortunately, it's a dark, you know, I don't want to be a negative person, but mm -mm. Uh, it's, it's the reality. You well, know, and, and I don't think we talk enough about what reality looks like. And, you know, here in the States, you hear over and over and over that hunters can live a complacent life, um, living in their bubble, you know, they, they're less likely to vote and all these things and really take a stand and take action. Um, we're not used to having to stand up for our rights. You know, that's just, that's something that's been kind of new. And fortunately, because my position within the industry, I was, um, I've been given the facts over and over and over. But if you don't seek that information out, it's not readily given or shared. So right. you've got to put in the effort to find that information and really know right. what's going on. And I talk about the fine print, you know, with all the bills that are being passed. You've got your title and everybody thinks that's what it's about when there's always some underlining hidden agenda. Correct. And the media is not going to speak the truth. They're just going to, you know, they want to, to sell blood and gore uh, in, to get their ratings up. Uh, they're not interested in a small, you know, 10,000 acre game farm that uh, look after maybe five or 10 rhino, you know. Um, they don't, that's not, that's not newsworthy. Uh, they want to, you know, the blood and gore, that's what they're after. If you kill a rhino, that's what they want to see, and they want to make you the, the, the worst person uh, in the world. You know, Cecil the lion, you know, that poor dentist, <laughs> he probably contributed more to conservation in his life than, than most of those media outlets did. But, yeah, that's probably the life that, of where we live now, you know. But we've got to stand up for our rights. If we're not going to do it, nobody else is going to do it. You're right. Nobody will. And hunting season is just around the corner for us, which dove season opened up this last week. And I, I don't know if I've ever been so motivated to share why I do this, because it was just a, an instant addiction 
for me when I got a bird dog. I was I was raised in a hunting family, but not in a shotgunning, wing shooting. Nobody owned a bird dog. You know, I didn't really have that influence. I had to go seek that out. Yeah. And for some reason, it just like lit a fire in me when my dog brought back that first bird. And I'll never forget it. I was in a practice field in the middle of North Georgia in Podunkville, right? Like we call BFE. And and I was like, I want to do this every single place I can take my dog. And I haven't traveled outside of the country just because of that one thing. It's like, I just want to spend time with my, with my dog, you know, and we, and we have those bonds with them and all that stuff. But the more I've gotten involved with SCI, the more I've learned about the importance of what you guys do and the partnerships that um, U.S. hunters have with South Africa. It has definitely piqued my interest to come and do some wing shooting there. No, you must definitely go. We'll show you, give you new species, species to tick off. Yeah. And uh, show you new places. Have you ever been to Africa? I haven't. You haven't? No. That's and that, and that's the whole thing is like, you know, you've been to Pheasant Fest, but, but you've seen Pheasant Fest. And it's almost like we just do the same things over and over and over as wing shooters. You know, we, we right. have that, tra- we're so ingrained in tradition that we, they rarely ever even branch out of where we hunt. No, and I understand it, you know. Um, I also want to hunt with my own dogs, over my own dogs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you're not hunting <laughs> over your own dogs and you're not used to hunting over someone else's dog, because let's face it, the passion starts at the dogs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so I think some people are a bit slow to do the change over to, to, to try and look for new destinations where they can't take their dogs with but uh, you know it opens new new places and and it's traveling it's a safari i know we you almost know, we feel do... like we're cheating right we're cheating we're gonna have to board our dog to go hunt birds yeah. somewhere else but what what is brilliant is that our hunting season is the opposite of your hunting season you know so you it's not that, that your dog is not going to have bird time uh, when it should you know, it's going to be in, in your off season that, that you can travel Africa and come and hunt our species on our side. Okay, that and is that's perfect. Huge, that's that's, the, that's yeah. to sell. That's how you sell a bird hunter is that you never have an off season. You never have an off season. You know, I don't know if you know Ramsey Russell. It's always duck season somewhere. That's his slogan. <laughs> you know? That is so Whether true. It's in Pakistan or in Africa or in Europe or South America or back at home, there's always duck season somewhere. Oh my gosh. Well, now I have an eight year old that I'm homeschooling because we stay on the road, you know. And so I literally had just texted my boyfriend this morning and because they all left for early till season before the sun came up today. And I'm trying to get caught up or actually get her ahead. So we can, you know, start rolling when, you know, um, bird season really opens up for us. And I feel like this sad kid that got left back at home. You know, I'm I'm like, I'm getting as soon as this kid is grown, like I am living it up all the time. I literally texted him that about an hour ago. And um, it was so funny because I have an older daughter and she's very independent on her own. So I kind of have to beg her to spend time with me. But. Yeah, I'm like, why do we have to have school hold us back? Like, we should be in, we should be at hunting camp on our way to hunt camp right now. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, Taterbug would probably love Africa. That that might be something that we have to look into. Um, but you're right, like the travel thing is is intimidating, 
um, <laughs> to some aspects. And, and that's another thing that SCI does is it makes it so easy. Uh, there's so much handheld or handholding there of bridging relationships to make that like a seamless trip. No, no. You, you know, it is a long ass flight. There's no two ways about it. You know, it's going to take you 25 hours to get here. But when once that's over, you know, you're here and you're here for a week or 10 days. And, and then, you know, you are so exhausted by the end of your, by the time you're back. That, and, and that's exactly if I travel to the States, by the end of the trip, I'm so exhausted. I sleep for 25 hours back home for Pete's <laughs> sake. You know? so it's, it's just, it's one of those things. It's not nice, but we've got to do it. And if we want to have new experiences, we've got to endure it. To, to have the new experiences. Well, I'll tell you that through my friend group in SCI and, and us um, committee members in Georgia are really, really close. And they've all started traveling to South Africa now. Um, during COVID, during the banquet season, it was like they were just all buying up the trips, right? So as soon as they got the green light, everybody left. And I'd never been jealous. I'm like, we have so much to offer here in the States. Why would I ever want to leave? Like, will I ever really see it all here? <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, okay, maybe I need to start reconsidering this because everybody comes back and says, I can't even put into words the experience that we had and, I, and the things that we value about lodges and tradition and the relationships seems to be on steroids when people come yeah. back from South Africa. You know, a lot of the people contact me and say they want to do a trip and they, they saving for this once in a lifetime trip. And then I have to laugh because, you know, when they leave here, they're already planning the next trip. And there's no such thing as a once in a lifetime trip to hunting Africa. There's just so much that we offer here. You have to come back and, and savor everything. And that's brilliant. You know, it's, uh, it's like your country as well. Um, there's a lot of things that I still want to see there and I'm going to go back and go and see it and do it and going to go to Pine, Pine Hill Plantation and we're going to ride the mule, mule, mule wagons and we're going to hunt those, those woods. Um, we're going to do it one day, you know, but it, it's, it's adds to your, it adds to your life story. And, you know, one day when we're too old to climb the mountains and to walk the woods, you know, maybe we're going to tell it to our grandchildren or our great grandchildren and pass on the tradition. Yeah, I know the the storytelling keeps us going and um and keeps the hype up. Uh, you find a bird dog person and you can talk for, you know, a full day just about dogs and never even know their name. <laughs> Instant connection. Instant yeah. connection. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is great. So um you guys are planning to come back for Nashville for SCI convention. We're gonna have to make plans. We're gonna have to find you a, a a southern plantation with the with the wagon and and the horses and the whole nine yards so that you get that true southern feel because that's what we can give you you know and then and then i'm gonna figure out how to get to south africa i don't know one day one day i'm gonna have to make that happen we're gonna sit down and we're gonna figure it out well um so you have been guiding for like the last couple of weeks I know because we've yes, been hit and miss. Where, what have you uh, been doing over there? Our season has actually just ended. Um, 
all my season. There is some, there is some uh, isolated areas you can still hunt, but uh, it's it's our spring now, so it's becoming warm, especially up north. Um, so yeah, yeah, we we do not. Our season normally starts in about March. Uh, although we can legally hunt earlier, I try not to do it before March because then the birds are, are a bit erratic. Um, so, so March, April, we start with dove and pigeons. Uh, we've got the, the rock pigeons here, which is some say comparable to the grouse of, of Scotland. Um, very fast flying uh, a pigeon and hot barreled action. You can shoot uh, 250, sometimes more. Some on really, really hot, hot days, you can shoot a thousand shots you know, early season. And um, we shoot them over sunflowers at, at that time of the year. And that's when the sunflowers just start to ripen and they just concentrate on the sunflower fields. And they fly normally from the cities uh, to the fields twice a day. And you shoot them coming in, going out, coming in, going out. Um, during that same time of the year, we can shoot uh, uh, geese in the Eastern Cape. Uh, we focus mainly on on Egyptian geese at that time, but we can also shoot uh, uh, spurwing goose. That's that's the big black uh, oh, goose. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, a big a big goose can can weigh about 18, 18 pounds. Uh, so it, it's quite a trophy in 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 the sense of the word. Um, then our duck and upland season starts the first of May. Uh, I live in the Karoo, and up here in the Karoo Highlands, uh, we have the Greywing Franklin over English Pointers. Uh, it's a very, very fine sporting bird. They sit tight for pointers and they flush um, pretty close, uh, but they're very far. So the diehard African upland hunter the, the Graven Franklin is the species that they are looking for. And you would find people, local local guys would just focus on the Graven Franklin and they will go and shoot it three, four, five times a year just to uh, experience the thrill of the hunt and the, and the flush and being out in the mountains. Big sky country, beautiful, beautiful, dramatic scenery where we hunt them. Uh, but then also, you know, if we go to the free state, we, we've got a lot of Swans and Franklin. We shoot, and, and that's where we hunt over GSPs. Uh, Swans and Franklin, uh, we've got Natal Franklin there, Orange River Franklin, uh, and also then the Guinea fell. Um, when I was at Pheasant Fest, I had a, a stuffed guinea fowl there and, and everybody <laughs> referred to it as a, a guinea hen. So so I, later on I said, no, when they tame, they called guinea hens. In Africa, <laughs> they, wild, they called guinea fowl. But yeah, it's great, great shooting. Um, and, you know, just to get back to the dogs, why we use the GSPs there is you've got a much higher stand of grass and much denser grass and you want a, a dog that does not... A range as far as the English pointer. You want to keep it close. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's why they work there. And you know, they are good, very good in that thick uh, grass environment to find the birds and pin them down. And uh, they, they really work, work excellent there. And then during the same time, May to, to August, we can also hunt ducks. Now, yellow bill ducks, red bill teal. Uh, we've also got white-faced whistling ducks, same, the same species that they've got in South America, actually. 
And then there's a lot of other lesser encounter that would be always gather them, uh, Cape Teal, uh, Cape Shovelers, Southern Poachers. Now we've got we've got four, uh, 13 species of, of, of waterfowl that we hunt um, regularly in South Africa. And then there's other species for which you can for which you can find a, a special hunting permit if you're really a collector and you want to tick more boxes. And, and we can do that as well, yeah. And then one of our big shoots, um, more on the expensive side, um, we also do a driven guinea fowl shoot. And this driven shoot is basically, it's based on what they do in Europe with, with pheasants and, and partridge. Um, every hunt we use about 50 beaters and uh, every, every gun's got a, a bird boy collecting these birds. And we do between six and eight drives a day, all on wild guinea fowl. And we do that in the Molopur, a little bit more north. And it's brilliant shooting. And, and you know, guys that really like uh, the driven shooting uh, that, that Europe uh, present, uh, we try and do the same here. And, uh, yeah, you know, we've got good bags of 200, 300, sometimes more birds in a day. And oh, it's, my. it's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. It's hot barreled action. Hot barreled action. So I think what's going on is that you just you just haven't advertised this enough like you just described because there's not one bird hunter in America that wouldn't say that sounds like a time of your life. No, you know, it, it's it's the unknown jewel of Africa. Everybody's been focusing on the big five and and, and playing game hunting on this side and, and justifiably so, you know, but what I found out is that the guys that's already collected all those species, they want something different and then they, now they start to burn out. And I sometimes feel like a pioneer because you know, you said that pheasant fest and, and people say, I didn't even know that you hunted birds in Africa. Yeah. You know, we've got we've got 30 species here that we that we can hunt if you look at the upland and the and the waterfowl. And then we've got, you know, sand grouse and, and all those type of things that, that you can collect. Now it's it's really a jewel that's been quite hidden for the last two hundred years, probably. <laughs> for the last two hundred years. Okay. Yeah, I would say that that sounds very um, intriguing. And you're right. We do need uh, we need to get together and, and do some more education about what you guys have to offer, because it is important that that we share the knowledge because, you know, it's yeah. just like anything else. People don't know what they don't know. And before we connected, I didn't have any idea. Um, my in shooting instructor was a big game African hunter before he started wing shooting. And how he got started was his lion guide told him to set up a thrower, a rabbit bird on the ground, throw an at him. And if it ever reached him and he didn't shoot it, then he was dead. And that's how he was to prepare for his lion hunt. And it turned him into a rock star clay shooter. And, um, he caught the bug through that. And so uh, he hasn't been back to Africa, but he's in probably, I don't know, maybe like five years or a little longer. But he's always telling me like, we got to go, we got to go. And I really wasn't one to do the big game thing because I was one of those bird hunters that said, I don't want to leave my dog at home. But yeah. it's different when you can hear that passion in your voice versus just a website, right? Like to hear you talk about it, you're talking about your bird hunting, just like we talk about our bird hunting here. And how do you say no to that? 
No, you, you can't, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I love it. It's, it's just, that's who I am. And, and I love big game hunting as well. I've had the opportunity to, to hunt a lot of other animals as well. And uh, I like that. But the birds are my passion and the dogs are my passion. How'd you but, find uh, yourself there? Did you grow up wing shooting? No, I'm a first generation wing shooter in my family. My, my family's all, wing shooting. I'm, I'm, I'm Afrikaans. So my home language is Afrikaans, not English. And wing shooting in South Africa used to be an English thing, you know, because they brought it from Europe. So, so my family were shooting kudus and springbuck and bushbuck and buffaloes and that type of thing. That was their hunting. We hunted for meat. And then I actually did a professional hunter's course in 98. And the guy sharing the dorm with me, um, he had two pointers. And I just, we, we became very good friends <clears throat> until today. We're still, we're still friends. And he invited me that, that winter on a grey wing hunt. And when I saw the dogs and I saw the birds and I like guns, I saw the shotgun and I can shoot the shotgun. And I had to buy a shotgun and then I bought the wrong dog and the second dog was also the wrong dog. And then <laughs> the third dog was, you know, then uh, by the time I had the third, third dog, I decided I need a book to teach me how to teach this dog because where do you, you can't, you have to train your own dogs here. And, uh, I got this book from Larry Mueller, American writer, I think yeah, in the 50s and the 60s. And I wrote the, read the book and it made sense to me. And I started using it on Lady, which was the, the dog I was running at, at that time. And it worked. Lady worked. Started shooting more birds. <laughs> and uh, had to get another dog. Same technique used on that dog, Ellie. That worked, and I've been training. I think I don't know how many dogs I've trained on that book, and and I use the same simple principles. I have to tell you, my dogs, the dogs that we use here, um, are not field trial winners, <laughs> um, and, and they are field trial dogs. Yeah, and I, and I buy from the field trial line. You know, when when I buy dogs because they've got very good dogs, um, strong lines from America as well, and the. <laughs> The uh, I just when I thought about the dogs, I just lost my drift. You know? <laughs> I love I love your story so much because I'm a first generation wing shooter in my family too, and there was um like my second dad growing up was a big time roper, and um we we all rode horses and everything, and then one day. He got into these short hairs and then got rid of his horses. And I'm like, who does that? Like, you just get a dog and you take your dog with you. Like, you don't change your whole life for a dog. Well, like, it took me about five years. And I ended up getting one of his puppies from, um, it was the first litter that my favorite female that he had, had. And so, um, she changed my world, just like you. It was like, get a dog and then. All of a sudden, I wasn't, I didn't, I don't have horses anymore. I have all these dogs. But uh, the funniest thing is it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You've just proven that we all make mistakes with our first dog. And, it, and we don't know in the, in the moment, right? 
we're going through it. We think it's just the grandest thing ever. And I still have her. But um, yeah, I think, oh, that was not the right dog for me to to have. I, I have since learned with Ronnie Smith. Have you been have you been exposed to yeah. Rick and Ronnie? Yes, I've heard of him, yeah. Okay, well, I gotta get you connected with Ronnie. Ronnie always says, um, you know, the best first dog is a dog that can teach you. And so I should yeah. have got an older dog that was seasoned that could have shown me what to do instead of a firecracker puppy, you know. And so, anyways, we were a train wreck from the beginning, but I don't know. I I don't I guess I wouldn't change it because she motivated me to get better as fast as I could, you know, and to learn like every day I had to learn more. Exactly. No, same with me. My uh, first dog was a Weimaran, which, you know, I should have never got the dog, but I didn't know. And it, the book says it points and it retrieves. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't for our area the right dog, you know, and the second one was a pointer and but it didn't come from the right lines, you know. It was just a farm dog that used that just happens to be a pointer. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, but so we learn, we learn, we live, and uh, yeah, we we much we know today what to look for and what not to look for, and uh, where to find your your dogs and what to do and what not to do. And every single dog I get, I learn something new, and I understand the dog. A dog even more because you, you know you get a very easy dog sometimes which goes with the book and sometimes you get a one that needs that tests your uh, your patience and you should never lose your your patience with a dog and uh, it makes you yourself a better person at the end of the day I think and you understand yourself sometimes a bit more after you're working with a difficult dog but uh, it's good fun. I really enjoy it. You know, in this journey that we've had of the ups and the downs and stuff, that's what's created the passion for us to want to fight for our industry and to save our rights. And, you know, here in America, we always talk about, you know, our Second Amendment and, and you know, the rights of an American. But really, when, when we get on the phone with you and we're sitting here having this conversation, it's, it's the rights of the world. It's the rights of humanity to be a hunter. It's not just like we get so focused on just America, but we but we really are living the SCI mission of fighting for the world. You know, there are so many parallels between the U.S. and, and South Africa. You know, the issues that you have in your country is the exact issues that we have in our country. You know, maybe not exactly the same, but, you know, the line has come through there the, at the end of the day. There's people that want to stop us hunting. There's people that want to take our guns away. Uh, there's people that that think we are the worst evil in the world, you know, and we've got it on our side. You've got it on your side. You know, I've traveled Europe as well. They've got exactly the same issues there. And uh, we've got to stand up for our rights. We've got to do what's right for us, you know, and I just wish that one day, and let's face it, even if you are totally anti-hunting and you most people love animals and but they don't see our side and you know because they're probably a bit more radical than what we are you know we are polarized and at the end of the day we all want what's best for the animals and and the birds and i just hope that one day we could 
find that bridge that can link us and where we can say, yeah, I see your point. I maybe not agree with you, but I'm not, I'm not against it. I understand it. And yes, <clears throat> continue, you know, but maybe I'm too optimistic, uh, but I hope one day <clears throat> we can reach that gap. Well, I'm with you, and I don't think we really have a choice but to be optimistic because we understand the benefits of the lifestyle that we live. And here we have um, a brand called The Provider Life, and we focus a lot on all wild game. So personally, we we don't buy meat at the grocery store ever. We're eating wild game or um, the family harvested beef products, and that's that's all we have. And we're feeding the whole crew all the time, multiple times a day, you know? And so when you get in that, it, it does become normal. And it's not, it's not the norm for us to be able to provide meals no, over not. and over. You know, like we don't run out because we all chip in together and, and we hunt that much. But is that something that's really big and, and a shared mission in South Africa of being the provider knowing where your food comes from, field to fork, you know, this big m movement that's coming across the States. Man, it is becoming very, very um, popular. Look, we've, hunt hunters have always been providing for themselves, but in the South African context, we are very big consumers of beef, cattle, uh you know sheep uh pork chicken so we wouldn't we wouldn't wouldn't only uh live off of wild meat uh, but we especially during the winter which is our traditional hunting time or meat hunting time you know we would definitely consume a lot more uh, venison and then we've got like you've got jerky we've got biltong and drubbles on, on our side very very popular with with everybody around mm -hmm. you know and even the the the, uh, the guys that, that don't that don't hunt uh, they most of them do like biltong and drubbles and uh, that is a very south african tradition like cook sisters and fed cook you know? <laughs> but uh yeah, no, we, we, we try and promote it. Um, but there's always, you know, people that want to promote it in order to make money out of it. We are allowed to sell wild meat where you're not, you're not allowed to, to, to commercially sell your meat. We are. You know, so a lot of that, the, the meat, especially, you know, from trophy hunting and then from culling operations ends up in the restaurant food chains and and so you can basically sit at the restaurant and buy a kudu backstrap or a kudu fillet or a, a, a yellow steak you know that that is pretty common and especially in the rural areas with springbuck is is probably the safest bet in terms of of, of venison um you can find that in in most stores and a lot of the retail outlets actually today try and sell that as well but then they obviously have to adhere to other standards as well so they there must be traceability so so they they more go for the for the cold meat where they can can trace from this farm it went through this process to get it legally into the into the food market but yeah it, it is becoming very popular hmm. wow 
Okay. The, the, the challenge that, that I found is just that the, the average housewife do not know how to prepare venison because it's not as simple as chicken and pork and beef. You know, you've, you've got to do a little bit more, uh, a little bit extra to, to get it really tender and maybe hang it, hang it a while or, or make it a bit ripe before you prepare it. Um, so and I think that's where, where the challenge lies that you do have to do a little bit more to the meat where consumers today want something that is, you know, immediately ready. We want fast food. Um, and, and I think that's yeah. a challenge which we also need to, to, to bridge in, in order to, to get venison to, to become really popular and, and almost like the everyday use, every week use at least. Yeah. So here, you know, we are bombarded with um, cooking shows or, you know, like we have the outdoor channel with all the hunting shows and they typically have recipe segments and those shows and stuff. I mean, it's so easy to find information for us to cook wild game. No, that's that's brilliant. And and there are those initiatives in South Africa as well, but you know, to get it through mainstream media, uh, that is the problem again, you know. Um, but we, the, the game industry is, is really trying to, to, to promote that. Um, and they also, you know, have cooking shows, but it's not a show that the average uh, housewife will see. You know, it, it's more in the hunting circles. But uh, I've, I've seen now in Woolworths is one of our high-end food stores. And uh, now they even have the recipes on the back of the of, of a springbuck loin so to tell you how to prepare it. So maybe that's... That's a way they can can make it uh, easier for the housewife, but but I do see that that still is a big challenge uh, on our side at least. Yeah, there is something magical about harvesting and then sharing a meal with the people you know that you truly cherish. I mean, there's nothing yeah. that replaces that. You, you know, our, my big thing is I love shooting springbuck um, because I can still carry it. Where kudu, you need a lot of people to, to try and carry it out. We, we're not used to packing stuff out like you, go, you guys go out <laughs> into the mountains and having to pack elk and, and those things out here. Yeah? So uh, at least we've got, we've got a lot of hands here. But, uh, you know, I, I'll put a, a back strap of a springbuck on a grill and we call it, you call it barbecue and we call it dry. And uh, we use wood, not gas, because that's the way we do it. And uh, I would use as a starter before we have a big barbecue, I'll have a loin, springbuck loin on, on, on the braai. And uh, you serve it medium rare. And I, and I do marinate it for a day before. And uh, you eat it medium rare and people cannot believe that they're eating venison. You know, and it's, it's, it gives me so much pleasure to be, be able to present something that s- someone that doesn't even hunt or someone that doesn't normally eat, eat venison meat to say, hell, but this is really nice. We want, we want more. How do we get this? Yeah. 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 That's been a really funny meme that starts get passed around about how your friends come out of the woodwork when it's hunting season, your past friends, you know, when it's, when they're ready for, you know, just sharing your harvest. No, I have a, a really good friend here that, um, We've done a lot of conservation projects together, and he's involved with his sons with Boy Scouts. Are you familiar with the Boy Scouts here? Yes. Yes, they're in South Africa as well. Okay. And so he has 
started hosting these dinners when they have their campouts, and he does yeah. a wild game dinner. So you get all these kids with their dads and some are hunters and some are not, but they all love the outdoors. So they've already bridged this relationship, you know, and camaraderie in the outdoors. And he's exposing them um, to wild game and then, and then sharing the, their family stories of hunting together and stuff. And, and I honestly think that we're just going to have to be more proactive um, in sharing those special moments. And it takes effort and it takes planning and it definitely doesn't happen overnight. But obviously us putting numbers out there, you know, in black and white and the and money and stuff, that's not changing the hearts of people that are decision makers. And right. so I know that you know who um Robbie with Blood Origins is. And yes. you know, he's such a legend now and how he has pulled all types of stories and all types of perspectives to educate all of us because it's really hard as a hunter to erase that uh experience and the heartfelt emotions to put yourself yeah. in the shoes of a non-hunter you, you can't yes. erase that right so um it's easier for them to be to be more open to us because they don't have the experience where we can't erase that correct and so but it's just it's really you know it's really hard to communicate that i think when you we get all I, maybe we're overwhelming because we get so passionate about it. And then, then they're already with their defensive walls. And then we Great. do look crazy, exactly. maybe, you know, to somebody yeah. who's not exposed to it. But um, I think that there's something really special about sharing a meal with people and creating that, that bond. Yeah, Robbie's really doing great, great work. You know, I, I just sincerely hope that it gets down to the people that needs to hear it. You know, um, and and all like SEI's efforts as well. You know, it, it's got to get, it's got to get to the ears of our enemies. You know, and and I don't know if we do it. You know, if they if they listen, and then if they're willing to listen. You know, but maybe food from food to fork mm -hmm. um it's quite interesting i have been approached by by people that uh, they not they basically first generation hunters and the only reason that they consider hunting is that they want to know where their food comes from and they don't want to to buy a feedlot fed sheep or or, or cow, they want to have something that's never seen a hormone, never been fed, uh, totally off the off the ground. And maybe that is where we could find common ground, you know, and and where we should start to 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 get these guys on our side, you know. And and, and these guys were New Yorkers, you know. It's it was I was quite quite surprised um, that they were looking at trying to start to hunt to to basically consume their meat or, or find their own meat to consume because they're not, they're not comfortable with supermarket meat anymore, which is, I think, a brilliant, you know, uh, way to, to get people into, in, into hunting as well. Yeah. So we've got through, through the, the love of the dog and through sharing mealtime. I, I do think that those are, you know, those are two things that we definitely have on our side. I mean, there are very few people that can resist petting a bird dog when they come through those little For tails sure. wagon and just so excited yeah, about life. 
No, and, and, the, and the dogs like the attention as well. And and yes, we 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 can we can build bridges, uh, you know, with with our dogs and 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 the venison, the wild meat. Well, I am so grateful that you've taken time out of your crazy schedule. You've you've been wide open for months now, and um and come on and just educate me. You know, there there's been so much that you you just can't learn until you have this one on one sit down conversation. I get to see you. We're not on social wow. media, just messaging back and forth about, you know, not being able to finish conversations or, um, you know, and then I don't know, what are we nine hours difference? Yeah. You're in Georgia. Maybe 12. Eight hours. I'm in Reno. Eight. It's, uh, it's, oh, uh, in noon. Reno. Yeah. it's <laughs> noon now. Yeah. Noon. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's nine o'clock. So yeah, yeah we've been missing apart. each other for a while, and Jeez. I'm just I'm thrilled to know that you're going to be at SCI convention in Nashville. Uh, we're definitely going to connect there and um, get you on a on a super traditional quail hunt for the South, and and uh, have that I'm experience. Really looking forward to, to Music City. I've I've heard a lot of Nashville, and I love country music, and so yeah, no, we we're definitely going to make a plan together. Well, who's there. your favorite band? You know, I'm an old soul. Yeah. So I like, you know, the Kenny Rogers and and the, the Don Williamses and and that's I like that music and and I'm the worst to ask uh, Alan Jackson. Oh know, yeah, I'm, now he's a Georgia homeboy. Yeah. No. So yeah. No. I I really like the country country music. That's what that's what Hallie Joe sings. Little Tater Bug loves to go to Nashville. She takes every chance she gets to hop on stage and bring back one of those Tulsa times or, you know, she, she likes singing some Linda Ronstadt and stuff. And it's hilarious because she's still little, you know, but she's one of those too. She likes that country gold. That's what we call it. Saturday night country gold. So in the South, the radio stations on Saturday night just play oldies. So it was really common. Yeah. To just get in the truck before, you know, we had this, skyrocket in gas and diesel prices you just ride dirt roads on saturday night like everybody would go to dinner you'd ride dirt roads take the long way home you know like they sing about roll the windows down and and the radios played old school music and it and it was just fun it was the way we grew up oh that is that's amazing yeah no that that is uh, i can't i can't wait for nashville to be quite honest yeah it's going to be interesting because it's the first time in nashville but uh, I, I think SCI is on the right track, you know, moving the moving the show around now and, and uh, roam a bit and see where, what they can pull out. Well, don't quote me on this because I, I might butcher it, but it was somewhere, um, I wanted to say it was like a really high number, maybe 80% of registered hunters are within six hours of driving distance to Nashville. That's very interesting. So. Um, and it may not be exactly 80, but I do remember it was some like really, really high number. So that was one motive of moving it. And then, you know, also like just the demographics tend to find, you know, you're going to have more of a family feel and a family participation outside of Vegas for sure. Um, but definitely in the South, because every kid's hunting in the South if their parents hunt. So um you know, I think it's going to be a really cool experience. And you've you've been to, to conventions before 
And yeah. this will this will feel like a brand new experience, you know, changing this type of location and stuff. So I know they're putting in a ton of work. There's going to be some really cool um, like concerts put together. And, and uh, my friend, I think Hannah Dasher is going to be there um, singing. And then it's also the year of the female hunter. So they're going to showcase a lot of things for female hunters there. And um, I just, I'm so pumped about it. We talk about it. I know every day somebody's talking about SCI convention. Uh, but it's just one of those things where you just live for it. Just can't wait. I mean, it should definitely last longer than three days. No, it, it you know, it's definitely the highlight of, of our uh, marketing season. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like Reno. I love uh, Las Vegas, but... Uh, you know, just like hunting different places, we need to go and see what uh, Music City is all about. <laughs> We're going to tear it up. I'm so pumped. Well, this was great getting to know you in person and for sharing the heart of the African hunter. We always talk about the heart of the American hunter on this show, but really, like, I think we have the same the same heart for hunting and, and for carrying on these traditions. And this was really special. And I thank you very much for inviting me. I really, uh, really enjoyed this. And I'm really looking forward to, to meet you in person in, in Nashville and uh, maybe shoot some birds together. Oh, yeah. There's there's a really cool uh, gun, gun uh, like sporting clay course there. They have a gun oh, club. Brilliant. The Nashville Gun Club is really, really nice. So I'll see how we can uh, schedule that if you can slip away from your booth. We will make a plan. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Anna. Keep well. I guess that's something you don't understand. A crown of soap and a big machine. I'll feed us all on the same beliefs. Oh, a dollar and a credit card. But we got a way of doing things. And no Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me